Good evening, this is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. You're allowed to call in, ask a Bible question, make a Bible comment. Matter of fact, we give the callers priority. Don't want to bore you with a long lecture. Uh, we'd rather you call in and help us decide what the program is going to be about, what Bible topic. Any Bible topic is fair game. The only rule we, rule we have is that the Bible decides the answers to all the questions. Not what we think, not what we want, not what's the most politically correct, not what will bring in the most people, not the, what the majority necessarily thinks, but what Jesus and his word teaches. That's going to be the final authority for us is Jesus, of course. He says, why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say. So we can't just call him Lord. We have to make him Lord. In our, in our life. And an important chapter, I think all chapters in the Bible, uh, of course, are important. But one that's important that where Jesus is doing some teaching is John chapter 3, one of my favorite chapters. And I thought we'd look at that while we're waiting on our first call. In John 3, verse beginning in verse 1, the book of John, sometimes called the Gospel of John, John 3, verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher from God, come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now, there's an important principle stated here that we might overlook. The way that people could know that Jesus was who he said he was and that, that he was preaching the truth is because of the miracles that he did. Anybody can claim to be Jesus Christ. I mean, I can claim to be Jesus Christ. I don't think I'd get many people to believe it, but anybody can claim it. Anybody can claim they're teaching the truth of God, but Jesus backed it up with miracles. The miracles that he did, the signs that he did confirmed, number one, that he was who he said he was, and number two, that he was preaching the truth because as Nicodemus said, no man could do these miracles that he did except God be with him. God wouldn't be with a liar. If, if here's Jesus, he's not really the son of God, but he's just claiming it, that makes him a liar. God wouldn't be with him and show approval for him by performing miracles through him. If he was preaching false teaching, then God wouldn't perform miracles through him. But the fact that he could perform these miracles, Nicodemus says in verse 2, shows that God's with him. And so he must be a teacher come from God. We just see we see the same idea of miracles confirming the word in a number of passages, like how about Mark chapter 16, verse 20? It says, They went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. So even after Jesus is gone, when the apostles and other believers are out teaching, God would confirm what they were preaching with these signs or miracles. If a person could do a miracle that proved God was with him, you knew what he was preaching was the truth. Same way with Jesus. You knew that Jesus is the son of God who he claimed to be and that he was preaching God's truth because the miracles that he did proved that God was with him and God would not be with a liar. Okay. That's one of the main reasons that we have miracles in the Bible, in the New Testament in particular, is to confirm the word, to reveal the word. John 16, 13, Jesus said to the apostles, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Excuse me, that's John 8, 32. He says, I will send the Holy Spirit. He'll guide you into all the truth. John 16, verse 13. So one of the things the Holy Spirit did was 
revealed the truth through these apostles. That was miraculous. And then he enabled them to perform miracles to confirm the truth, to confirm that they were preaching the truth. Does that make sense? John 3, verse 3 is one of the more famous verses in the Bible. Jesus answered, he's talking to Nicodemus still, and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment, 877-655-6755. Jesus is basically saying you've got to be born again or you cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, you've got to be born again to be saved, to be part of the kingdom of God. What's born again? Well, it's really an analogy back to the physical birth. When you have a brand new little baby, he doesn't have any wrinkles or scars. His skin is perfect. And he's starting a brand new life. Well, here's the analogy. Here's the parallel. When a person is born again, spiritually, he doesn't have any more spiritual wrinkles and scars because his sins have been forgiven. And he starts a new life, meaning he, and this is up to him, he starts living a different way. He quits serving sin and starts serving righteousness. There's two aspects of being born again. There's God's part. That's the forgiveness of our sins. He's taking away those spiritual wrinkles and scars. He's taking away our sin, but it's up to us to change our life and start living a different way to start serving righteousness instead of serving sin. You must be born again. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But Nicodemus got a little confused. Verse 4, Nicodemus saith unto him, talking back to Jesus, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Well, I don't think Nicodemus really thought that that's what Jesus was saying. But what he's saying is, Jesus, it sounds like you're saying a man is supposed to go back and get in his mother's womb and be born physically a second time. But surely that can't be true. I mean, look at me. I'm 225 pounds. Well, how's that going to work? Me going back into my mother's womb and being born again physically. It won't. Nicodemus is confused. What do you mean? Surely you don't mean... Going back into your mother's womb. And so Jesus basically says in verse five, Hey, we're not talking about a second physical birth here. We're talking about a spiritual birth. That's what being born again is all about. It's a spiritual birth. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. So he elaborates upon being born again. He says, except, he says, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So verse 3 says, you got to be born again to see the kingdom of God. Verse 5, he says, you got to be born of water and of the spirit to enter into the kingdom of God. So obviously, born again and born of water and the spirit are the same thing. They're synonymous. Verse 5 is basically just an elaboration or a detail of verse 3. To be born again, you got to be born of water and of the spirit. Now, what would that being born of water refer to? To me, it's obvious it's talking about water baptism. Water baptism is the only thing in the Bible of spiritual significance that involves water. You got to be born of water and the spirit, meaning you got to be baptized in water according to the teaching of the spirit to enter into the kingdom of God. That's, that's an elaboration upon being born again. That's how one is born again. He, as a believer, he repents and he's baptized for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. He's born of the water and of the Spirit. He's baptized in water according to the teaching of the Spirit. Another thing that I think helps us to see that born of water and the Spirit is referring to water baptism, 
according to the teaching of the Spirit, is a passage like Romans 6, verse 4. We know Romans 6, verse 4 is talking about water baptism because in that text, it's talking about baptism is a picture or a likeness of the burial and resurrection of Christ, which would be water baptism. Water baptism looks like the burial and resurrection of Christ. When we go down into the water, it looks like the burial of Christ. When, when we come up out of the water, it looks like the resurrection of Christ. Now, here's what he says in verse 4 about water baptism. He says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Newness of life, that's the same analogy as being born again. In other words, when you're baptized, that's the moment that you're expected to start walking a different way, living a different way, walking in newness of life. So obviously, if you start walking in newness of life, you're a new person at your baptism, then that's when the born-again process is culminated. That's when you're born again. That proves that John chapter 3, verse 5 is referring to water baptism because according to Romans 6, verse 4, that's when you start walking in newness of life. And that's what we're talking about, being born of water and the Spirit, being born again. All your sins are forgiven, and you start a new life. You start living a different way. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. Any Bible topic is, is fair game. Bible question or comment, give us a call, 877-655-6755. Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is ver Spirit, verse 6. In other words, Nicodemus, we're not talking about another physical birth, Born of the flesh, we're talking about spiritual birth. Physical birth, a new little baby, physically, that's born of the flesh. We're talking about born of the spirit, a spiritual birth. He says, marvel not, verse 7, that I say unto you, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the spirit. Jesus is comparing the new birth to the wind blowing. The new birth is something that goes in the heart. You can't see it. Okay? But you can see the results of it. You can't see the change in the heart, but you can see the results of the heart. In other words, the change in the person's life. Just like the wind. You can't see the wind, but you can see the results of the wind. The wind looks invisible because it's transparent. But you can see the leaves rustling. You can see the, the branches moving. You see the results of the wind, even though you don't see the wind. I think that's Jesus's point in verse eight. It's the same way with a new birth. You don't see the new birth because that goes on in somebody's heart, this change in their life. But you see the results of it. You see the change in the life by the way they act later. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. So verse nine, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and received not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? So Jesus is basically saying to Nicodemus, Look, you're supposed to be a master, a teacher in Israel, and don't you know these things? Don't you know the difference between a physical birth and the spiritual birth? 
you ought to know the difference in a physical birth and a spiritual change because you're a master of Israel. Anyway, we've got a call. Let's go ahead and see if we can get this call. This Fred, Fred on the air. Fred from Washington. Go ahead with your Bible question or comment. Yes. Um, you talked about the only uh, way into heaven is through uh, Christ, and I understand that. But I'm also a little perplexed because in um, Genesis 5, and I believe it's uh, uh, 14, it talks about Enoch being taken by God directly into heaven. And this is uh, confirmed in Hebrews um, uh, 11.5. So uh, Enoch, and I believe Eliza or one of those E fellows, <laughs> was um, also had the same experience with God. They were taken directly into heaven. So apparently at least two examples in scriptures are found where they did, were not um, they did not have to pass through Christ. Okay, I think you're talking about Genesis six twenty four. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And I agree with correct. you. I guess God took him into heaven or something like that, right? Yes, correct. But I would make the case that Enoch ha- did have to go through Christ because. It doesn't mean when it says Enoch walked with God that he lived his whole life perfectly without sin. Jesus is the only one that lived his whole life perfectly without sin. Would you agree with me? Well, it um, it does not say that in Scripture. It does not say that Enoch did not sin. Right. And the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. That's in the Gospels, but that's not in uh, the Old Testament or in yeah. Genesis. Yeah, so but it we're says adding two to come up with that, correct? Well, no, I'm gonna disagree with you, Fred, and hear me yeah. out. Romans okay, three twenty three. Let it, me know when you get done. Where in Genesis it'll say what you're gonna say? Okay, uh, it's not. It's gonna say it in Romans three twenty three. It says in talking about people in the Old Testament and the New, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles under the Old Testament times, but it would apply to the New. He says, "For all have sinned." And come short of the glory of God. So Enoch, all means all. Adam and Eve forward. All have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. That would include Enoch. So since Enoch sinned, the only way he could receive forgiveness, Fred, is through the death of Christ. Now, Romans 3, 25 helps us with this. Fred, if, if you want to listen, listen to Romans 3, 25. It says, for whom, it says, whom God is, it's talking about Jesus redeeming us with his blood. Verse 23 through 24. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's the verse I just quoted. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Here's what that's saying. God forgave people in Old Testament times based upon the death of Jesus Christ. Even though they lived before the death of Christ, he forgave them based upon the death of Christ. So Enoch, if he sinned, and Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned, even the people in the Old Testament time, if he sinned, he had to be forgiven to go to heaven. And he would, to be forgiven, he had to repent, just like David had to repent to be forgiven of his sin with Bathsheba. And if Enoch sinned, and he did, and he was forgiven, it was done through the death, the redemption that is in the blood of Christ 
through the uh, blood of Christ. Romans 3, 24 and 25. So I would say Enoch did have to go through Christ. Just because he lived before Christ didn't mean he didn't have to go through Christ to be forgiven. The only way we can be forgiven is through the blood of Christ. Does that make sense, Fred? I understand your answer. Thank you. Thank you for your call, Fred. Scotty from Montana. Go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. How you doing, sir? I, I, yeah, I what was, you got? What, what, I, was, what you, I was wondering about the tribe of Manassas, why they were split into two different tribes, and what scripture reference can I learn from that? You know, I don't know that, to, that answer right off the top of my head. Scotty, could I call you after the program, maybe on this number? Because I believe I could look that up real quick after the program and, and we could discuss it. Would that be okay? Well, I'm institutionalized and this is a public phone, so I can't really say that I would be available. Okay. Well, I'm going to give my number out on the air. Can you call me later? Okay. My number, my cell phone number is 256-682-9753. Pat Donahue at 256-682-9753. Call me later. And we'll talk about that, okay? Cool beans. Scotty, thank you very much for your call. Angelo from New York, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hi, the question I have tonight is, um, you hear two different preachings of salvation. The first is salvation is accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior that he rose again. And the other one is that, that he died and rose for us. Plus, we have to be baptized with water. Which one is it? Is it both, or is it just salvation through Jesus dying for our sins? Well, first of all, of course, we're saved through Jesus dying for our sins. But Jesus died for everybody. Am I right, Angelo? Well, yes, you are. But like I said, I hear others preaching that it's not that salvation isn't just accepting that Jesus died for our sins. You have to do the baptism, baptismal, baptism with water on top of that to be saved. Yeah, Angelo, let me try to be patient with me. Let me finish my point. Oh, okay, so even ahead. though Jesus died for everybody, he died for everybody, but are the atheists going to be saved? No. No, because they don't believe in Christ. John 3.16 teaches you got to believe in Christ to be saved, right? Yes. Right? So even though the, our salvation is through the death of Christ, that doesn't mean everybody's going to be saved. You have to believe. You have to meet the conditions. Yeah. Uh, so so, yeah, so it's the same reason. way, Angelo, it's the same way with baptism. Jesus said in Mark 16.16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So you got to do more than just believe. The fact that you got to be baptized doesn't mean you're not saved through the death of Christ any more than the fact that you got to believe means you're not saved through the death of Christ. You're saved right. by the death of Christ. That's what earns or pays for your sins. Belief and baptism are both just conditions we have to meet in order to be saved through the death of Christ. So when, when right. somebody agrees, somebody agrees with Jesus, in Mark 16, 16, that you got to be baptized to be saved. He's not saying you're not saved through the death of Christ. He's saying you are saved through the death of Christ. You're saved through the death of Christ, and the ones who are going to be saved through the death of Christ are those who trust and obey. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Does that make sense, Angelo? No. Can I rephrase the question? Maybe you can answer with the... Yes. Me yeah, you the can question. rephrase it, Angelo. 
Make it okay, pretty quick, so, though. We're going to have to go off the air in just a few yeah, minutes. All right. So what what I hear is some some preach that you can be saved just by believing that Jesus died for your sin. If you believe that, boom, you're saved. And others preach that you have to believe that Jesus died for your sin and be baptized with water. Yeah. So in Acts chapter 9, do you remember that Paul the apostle, the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Of course, Saul, this is Acts 9, 3 through 6. It's, so voice coming from heaven, he knows it's the Lord. So he says, who art thou, Lord? Jesus said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Paul said, well, what do you want me to do, Lord? So obviously Paul believed in Jesus on the road to Damascus, Acts 9, 3 through 6. But he wasn't saved at that point from his sins because Ananias was sent to tell him what to do. Paul said, what do you want me to do? Ananias was sent to him to tell him what to do. In Acts 22, 16, Angelo, Ananias tells Saul, and now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So we're all agreed, Angelo, that the blood of Christ is what washes away our sins. Some will say the blood of Christ washes away our sins when we believe, but that's not so. Paul believed on the road to Damascus, but he was still in his sins at least three days later. So the blood of Christ didn't wash away his sins until he was baptized, according to Acts 22, 16. See the point, Angelo? Perfect. Now I understand. I appreciate the answer. Angelo, thanks for your call. Laura from California, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hi. Um, so I'm going through a particularly difficult time with my husband being very ill and then, you know, also other circumstances in the past. And I get people that really care say to me, you more than you can handle. And I don't believe that statement to be true just because of how many Christians are, are persecuted and killed and, you know, so many things that have happened in the Bible. And are people misconstruing a verse or where is that coming from? Well, let me read you a verse and see what you think, Laura. OK, now this verse is okay. directed toward people who are trying to serve the Lord. OK. I don't think okay. this verse would necessarily apply to who's not a person who's not even trying to serve the Lord, but a person who's sincerely serving the Lord. Here's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you or allow you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. What does that sound like it's saying to you, Laura? What? It's saying that if I stay faithful, if I stay faithful to the Lord, he will get me through anything. And that's, I believe that. I completely believe that. But when I hear that phrase, I, I just, you know, I mean, knowing that Christians are persecuted the way that they are, I mean, how can they handle that? I mean, you know, so here's how they can handle it. Matthew 10, 28 says, and this could this is refer could ref, be referring to, and I'm pretty sure it would include persecution. Jesus says in Matthew ten twenty eight, Laura, and fear not them which kill the body, for they are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in everlasting punishment. So here's how you can handle it. The worst that a person can a person that's persecuting a Christian, the worst they can do to you is kill you physically. But that won't affect right. your soul's destiny. See, so so you can handle it. If they, even if they kill you, if you're faithful to God, you're going to heaven. They cannot affect your soul. All they can do is kill the body. Is that mm. so? So you can handle anything 
if you just realize that, I mean, the point of serving the Lord is not necessarily to get rich or to live forever. You know, you may have to suffer right. persecution. But First Corinthians ten right. thirteen is saying God will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able and will with every temptation to make a way of escape. So he's not going to allow that you, one, give you more than you can handle when it comes to temptation. Okay? True. That's, 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 that's what I think I, people yeah. may be saying. That's correct. But, I mean, it's not the temptation. It's it's mainly what you go through, you know, um, emotionally and everything that you're dealing with. And if it wasn't for the strength of the Lord and praying, I wouldn't probably be dealing with this the way that I am. So um, the first Bible verse that you call Laura, I'm going to have to let you go. i got to go off the air. I'm going to call okay. you later and talk to you if you don't mind. But watch for my call. And so... Revelation 2.10, I think, is talking about persecution. It says, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. So we just face persecution. Even if we die, we'll go to heaven. If you would like a free one-hour phone Bible study with me at your convenience, call or text me at 256-682-9753.